Though it is a lengthy passage, it would be great if you would stand in honor of God's holy word. And as we think about how the king has come in Palm Sunday, then the king's authority, then the king's betrayal, king's arrest, last yesterday, the king's trial, and then last night, the king's table. Here we focus on the ultimate sacrifice. This is Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 through 54. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him and stripped him of the robe and put on his clothes on him and led him away, to crucify him. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to go to the cross, to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which was the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them, casting lots, and they sat down and they kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And there were two robbers that were also crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down off the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from this cross. Then we'll believe him. He trusts in God, let let God deliver him if he so desires him. And he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran to get a sponge and filled it with sour wine. They put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But then others said, oh, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And when Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, 
And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of their tombs after his resurrection. And they went into the holy city and and appeared to many. Then the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. And they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Please be seated. If you've ever uh, wrestled with this question, I hope that you've thought about this. What if you or me, what if one of us was born at the time when Jesus had his earthly ministry? What if you walked through Jerusalem and bumped into him or just happened to be able to sit at the Sermon on the Mount or at the Sea of Galilee when he was teaching his disciples? Have you ever thought about would it have been easier for you to follow Or harder? Did you think that, oh, all these other disciples, they're so foolish. I would have never, ever left him. I would have been very faithful. Or would you have come out from another end? Would you have considered maybe, could I ever have possibly one of the scoffers, the mockers? Could it ever have been? As a pastor, I think about maybe I could have been a Pharisee easily. Easily. Still am in so many ways. But here we are, verses 27 to 54 in chapter 27, and we're looking at 27 verses. And after these 27 verses, the world and our lives are changed forever. Nothing is the same after these 27 verses. And we've got to get a fresh look on this. Thank God that in our tradition, we consider these 40 days leading up. We start at Palm Sunday and really slow things down, take a deep dive because there's so much. We've got to look at it fresh in our own hearts and in my own heart. This has been a very good week for me for that. Because here in these 27 verses, tell us the most sadistic evil at a most spectacular act of love in history, what John Piper calls history's most spectacular sin. And we just read it, that holy God was murdered, that the Lord who loves us laid down his life and was mocked and spit on by men. Everything changes after these verses. Every prophecy that he fulfilled, every single aspect of our lives that he perfectly took on. He despised the shame. He rejected it. But he loved us as he set his face like flint on the cross. I'm going there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that is what Jesus has done for us as we soak into it today on this Good Friday. It was his perfect plan. It was his 
everything. All orchestrated, though it did not look like that, does it? And it definitely didn't to the Romans and definitely didn't to the disciples. But Matthew and the gospel writers give us clear pictures. Thank goodness for four eyewitness accounts of this crucifixion and of this moment. They don't go into the biology or the medical or the engineering of of it. That's not even a history book. It's Christology. It is all the significance. What does this mean? What do we need to take away? What do we need to understand? And just one little phrase in Matthew, he says, and Jesus was crucified. And these 27 verses, let's unpack a little bit. But this entire way of understanding what was foolishness to men is the wisdom of God. And we're seeing it right here. This one scholar writes about this. Do we understand crucifixion? Do we understand the shame and the horror of the humiliation? Can we comprehend what it is that Christ is doing when he's taking on the, the utter despising shame of crucifixion? Crucifixion was the cruelest and most degrading form of punishment of all. It was intentionally designed to strike fear and to deter others from going against Rome. It was intentionally designed to slow death down and be so excruciatingly painful that every criminal would be in such agony. That was the point of it. If we can just kind of compare and contrast that to how we are abolishing a death penalty today and we're trying to make it very comfortable. This was the extreme opposite. Its entire design was uncomfortable, was great suffering, and it was supposed to be an advertisement to all, for all. Don't be like this guy. Don't do this bad thing because you will end up like him. And you will have the birds come and the dogs come and try to eat your flesh. In our world today, we've, we all have to admit it, right? The cross has become uh, a lot of jewelry, art and decor, and maybe the familiarity, the ubiquity of it all is is maybe lost its meaning again. So it helped me, and I want it to help you, to think again about what this actually is that's going on here. A Roman citizen would never, ever consider being executed on the cross. It was abhorrent to them. That was the slave's punishment for them. Maybe to bind a Roman citizen, that would be a crime. To flog a Roman citizen would be considered an abomination. But crucifixion, there are no words. They would never, ever put the two things, Roman and crucifixion, together. It was that bad. So here he is, Jesus comes, and strikingly, stunningly, He takes upon himself all the curses of the law and transforms them, freeing us from the curse by himself becoming a curse. In one glorious act of love, in these 27 verses, we see Christ redeeming us from all of this. 
because he took it on. So what happened on Friday morning? You think about him being up all night long. There was no festive kitchen nearby. He had nothing to eat, nothing to drink. He was from one trial, from one kangaroo court, from one mockery of a trial to another. One, one, one. And then finally, he was pronounced guilty. He was beaten multiple times. He was mocked by the high priest himself, slapped, then flogged with the cat and nine tails, his skin on his back ripping off in blood in a cruel, barbaric display. And then all the Roman guards decide to chime in, as we know. Can you just imagine the mockery of it all, of giving him a scepter of a reed and then slapping him with it? The Son of God. You can just hear those, that the mock of it all, the weight of them spitting on our Lord and Savior. It was just a joke to them. It was excessive. But as he walked down the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, and he was moving towards Golgotha, he was so badly beaten at that point that he couldn't even carry his own cross. His physical body was giving away, his muscles unable. And then he pulls Simon in to carry it. Every time that beam, and you can think about the visuals here, the crown that's on uh, the thorns, every part of this visual, the weightiness of it, carrying that as it rips his back further through the beam, is gouging, lacerating even further into the muscles. It is horrific. None of this, my brothers and sisters, is to be of shock value, not one thing. It's just to refresh you and me about a few, I mean, just a few of the details that took place there. Nails driven into his wrists and into his feet. Crucifixion, and this is a stunning reality, y'all. Modern art and various movies don't get the picture, but crucifixion for the the criminal was done completely naked. There was no clothing. They were stripped and mocked and humiliated in the worst possible way. Unprotected from the weather, from flies, from bugs, from birds, unable to control bodily functions, leg muscles contorted in such a way with such intense cramping the, the nails would splinter into the nerve endings, excruciating pain, firing all the time. The unbelievable agony of, of suffocating and, and on the cross, of ripping your own body just to get a breath. And that in, incredibly slow process of the blood constricting, of organs failing, of the trauma in every cell of your body ending in asphyxiation. And when Jesus was offered at the beginning of the wine mixed with the gall, he refused. 
He wanted to feel all of it and be of complete sound mind. What a savior. Can you, can you even get our heads around that? You and me, I, one tiny bit of pain coming on. Where is the Advil? Is that a headache? Mm, uh, okay. You know, any procedure, I hope there's a lot of anesthesia. And here Jesus is saying, I, don't want, I want to feel everything. I want to be a complete sound mind. The look of Christ towards the end as we went from 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock through the day must have been horrific. Isaiah says this of the Messiah, they shall see the servant of God, many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his his form marred beyond human likeness. It's just incredible. Though Matthew could have gone very deep into the details of the torture, he spent more time on the mockery, the mocking that was taking place by every single person. It's just unbelievable. The criminal to the left, to the right, the, the priest, the elders, just people walking by mocking, wagging their head, saying terrible things. Through all of this, as we just went through in Psalm 22, he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, all this time, while all this horror is going, he is fulfilling one messianic prophecy after another through the entire Thursday into Friday, all the way through to the final hour. It's incredible. They pierce my hands and feet. They gloat over me. They divide my garments among me. The clothing, they cast lots. That was happening right in front of him. Unbelievable. Incredible. He fulfilled all of them. No one can say our God is not amazing. That is incredible suffering, and he is fulfilling all the Messianic prophecies. Are you... Are we taking this in? So in his moment is his clarity to be able to say those seven final words and taste everyone, barely able to get a breath as he was laboring just to breathe as he spoke them, those, those seven final words. His whole body is falling apart. And as he's doing that, he's forgiving people. He's extending kindness and forgiveness to people. He's looking at Mary and John and saying, John, behold your mother. He's caring for Mary, his mother. All during this incredible agony. And just think, in the back of his mind, he knows Judas had already committed suicide. Where's Peter? Where's James? All the disciples had left him. He's cognizant of everything, every part of the universe as he's loving you and I on the cross. Yes, he bore our griefs. He took on our sacrifice. He was in the divine act 
of penal substitutionary atonement for our glory and our joy and his glory. The creator was slain by his creation. The shepherd was beaten down and slain by his own sheep. He allowed himself to go to that ultimate place. And let's make no mistake, in verse 50, it is clear. He, not the executioners, but he gave up his life. He yielded his spirit when the time had come. He was in complete control of it all. Isn't that incredible? Let it sink in, brothers and sisters. So here we are, we plunge deep, we took a quick dive, time is short, we can't go into every aspect of these 27 verses, but we pray that you will, that you will, you will taste those words, you will go into them and understand the cru cruel shame and that may give new light on you. Doesn't just refreshing this remind you of Hebrews 12 too, and where we are exhorted to fix our eyes on Jesus for the joy set before him, despising the shame. We know now, we're reminding ourselves now what that really meant. And in Philippians 2, when this incredible, maybe the first hymn of the church, as they're thinking about how he emptied himself and even death, and then he adds, not even death, even death on a cross adding that last little part, it really reframes what we're studying, what we're learning, what we're understanding here in Philippians. Because now we understand even death on the cross, what that really means for you and for me. This is the king's sacrifice, brothers and sisters. This is the king's sacrifice. And you and I both know there are volumes and volumes of books that will explain this to the nth degree and it will fill up this entire sanctuary because there's so much to take in awe as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and it reminded what Matthew knew to be true and saw, what, what people, eyewitnesses everywhere. And so the last point, the shocking, amazing point about all of this as we put this all together is this. This was so shameful and so humiliating that if it ends with a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea bundling up Jesus at the end of his life off the cross and putting him in a tomb, and that's it, we, none of us would be here, right? How do you explain that the actual symbol, as Robbie even mentioned, of horror and disgust and humiliation that even the Romans wouldn't even talk about it, now is the ultimate symbol for us. That is impossible, impossible. Unless Jesus did something so incredible, so amazing, he turned everything around. What used to be the thing of shame, he took on the shame that we would be free. This humiliating, disgusting, horrific, execution now is the gateway for our new life in Christ. Hallelujah. What he has done cannot be explained 
by any, any human historian at all because this was the worst of the worst. And yet now it's become the most incredible symbol of all. It's the most widely well-known symbol everywhere through every century and every nation is the cross. What used to be despised. Now look at it. And here's the thing that's so amazing. Both Jews and Gentiles despise crucifixion. So why follow the man who was horrifically, shamefully hung on the cross? There's zero incentive. If you died in a brave heart manner where he would be like this incredible martyr and everyone reveres him at the end of life, that would be one thing. But this makes no sense apart from what we now know is the cross. No sense. But Christ changed everything. And it was on Friday, but we know that Sunday's coming that Friday was the most dismal, horrific day, as Piper said, the history's most spectacular sin, and Sunday, the most glorious moment. That's why we're all here. If it, if it ended on the cross on Friday, we all know where that would take us. But it did not. It was the, just the beginning, just the beginning. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite. His grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free. Oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be? Let's go into silence thinking about that.